Hello, this is Dr. Tabitha Lari, and today we'll be mapping fibroids on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Dr. Tabitha Lowry. Dr. Tabitha Lowry, ND, MS, is a naturopathic and integrative medicine physician with a strong passion for women's health, functional endocrinology, and community medicine. She loves offering her medical expertise in clinical nutrition, botanical medicine, vitamins and supplements, counseling, and pharmacology to help patients radically improve their health at Adorn Naturopathic Medicine. She holds degrees from Howard University, Georgetown University School of Medicine, and Bastyr University, California in San Diego, California. Dr. Tabitha loves Jesus, traveling, making people laugh, music, spending time with her family and friends, food, and her dog, Lennox. Dr. Tabitha, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so eager to dive into the topic of fibroids with you, and I'm wondering if you can kick us off by talking about what fibroids are. So fibroids are a collection of tissue that can develop in the endometrium. A lot of people, especially African-American women, suffer from fibroids. It's approximately 70% of all women. It's a bundle of non-cancerous growths, and they typically just collect inside the uterus. You know, I was going to ask you about the research behind that because I've seen studies that show that women and those assigned female at birth have a 70 to 80% chance of developing fibroids by age 50, but that, as you said, Black women are 80 to 90% more likely to develop uterine fibroids. It sounds like I have the stats right, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. And do we know why that is? Your, your stats are absolutely correct. The research is leading us to believe that there is a high correlation with African-American women in particular who received relaxers in their hair. So that is the chemicals that we have used and even I have used as a child, actually stopped when I went off to college and learned about the research that straightens our coils so we don't have that curly hair. It straightens it permanently unless you have to continuously get touch-ups. So I remember just even as a child, the commercials for the Just For Me relaxers, and it was almost like a rite of passage to straighten your hair. And that is what they are suspecting was a leading cause of fibroids in African-American women. That's fascinating. Do we know which chemical constituent 
is correlated? They are just associating it with high cytokine storms. Mm, So just an immune response based on something that's coming in the body that shouldn't be there. Absolutely. And you have to consider our scalp. That's a large portion of skin. And if we're getting them every six to eight weeks for years upon years, and not just that, just the additional chemicals that we apply to our scalps in our head. So in addition to straightening it with the relaxers, every day you're applying something that whether it has parabens or any type of endocrine disruptor. Yeah, that's fascinating. And we'll get into the endocrine disruption connection there as well. But I just wanted to ask, in addition to age and race, those are both antecedents. Are there any other genetic, ancestral, or inherited factors we should be considering in our clinical assessments? Yes, there is a genetic component, specifically the MED12 mutation that can promote the uterine growth formations, and it disrupts CDK8 and 19. Okay, so we're back to the immune system and detoxification, which of course brings us back to the gut. So many things to look at in our connections there. So we've identified some antecedents and some triggers. What are the primary symptoms we're going to see when somebody has fibroids? Primarily excessive menstrual bleeding, that's in about 30% of women with fibroids. It can be pelvic pain, pain with vaginal sexual activity, just vague discomfort and constipation. You have to factor in that these are growths happening down there, whether it's just that feeling of extreme pressure and pain and heaviness. And I've seen people have, you know, a lot of fatigue because as I understand it, fibroids are like iron muggers, and they don't even know they have the fibroids. Is that something you've seen in practice as well? Absolutely. Anytime that a woman comes to me and they express that they have excessive bleeding, and oftentimes because it's so common to them, they think that it's normal. So when I ask the question, like, okay, tell me more about your cycle. Oh, it's normal. Okay. Can you explain to me what normal is? Well, I bleed for seven to 10 days. Okay, tell me more. How heavy is your flow? And I always ask, what menstrual products are you using? Are you using a cup? Are you using pads, tampons, a combination? And oftentimes they're saying, I'm going through about two to three pads, about changing them about maybe four to five times in the last three hours. That's not normal. It may be common, but that's not normal. And so the more that I dive in, I'm asking, what's your energy level? Oh, it's about a three out of 10. But this happens often. So I no longer, you know, make it a concern. I know that it's my normal. Then I run an iron panel and I make sure that I do a ferritin as well because that's the storage of iron. So I do a full iron panel with ferritin and I'm noticing these patients are three, two, And so no wonder you're fatigued. Yeah. And where would you like to see that ferritin, just so we note that? It's going to depend on a woman's age, but I like to see a woman at least above 25, bare minimum. (laughs) I agree, bare minimum there. So what other tests or assessments are you doing when you are suspecting that there might be fibroids? I like to do a complete hormone panel. One of the labs that I enjoy using is Access Labs. They do a four-point saliva test, and they test all of the estrogens. So that's E1, E2, E3, progesterone, 
17 OHP, which is another form of progesterone, DHEA, testosterone, DHT, androstenedione. That's a really good marker for fibroids and for endometriosis. And then looking at the four-point cortisol, how well is your body responding to you know, the activities of daily living? Are you noticing that there's a big drop from 7 a.m. to noon? And I often see that with patients. They say, I wake up, I know I have to get the day started, so I'm able to have the energy to start, but by noon, I need a nap. So I'm able to see all of that. And so that's my favorite one to run. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, I really appreciate your whole comprehensive approach in you're looking at what's going on internally. We know that the fibroids are there, of course, in a standard of care. Somebody might just be put on birth control, but you're asking why, why is this happening? And is there, where is there the opportunity to bring balance to the body in terms of nutrients? I know there's some research that talks about the connections between low vitamin D also not uncommon in African-Americans, but is there a correlation between low vitamin D and fibroid occurrence? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you have low vitamin D, it increases your risk factor. I was able to find out that vitamin D3 inhibits the expression of MMP2. So what MMP2 and MMP9 is, it's the matrix metalloproteinase. And it's associated with the uterine fibroid pathogenesis. So if you're able to have higher levels or adequate levels of vitamin D3, specifically, I like for patients to be anywhere between 60 and 80. When you're looking at vitamin D levels, normal range is between 30 and 100. So when you see 30, 100, if I'm doing an exam, do I want a 30% or do I want a 100%? So my optimal range for vitamin D is going to be between 60 and 80. That's where I try to get all of my patients, whether you are postmenopausal or premenopausal. It's super important for bone health, the immune system, and we know that it helps to inhibit one of the immune factors that's associated with the uterine fibroid pathogenesis. Mm, Such good connections. Okay, so what do we do about it? Now that we have this information, we can be working on vitamin D levels, we can be supporting iron absorption. What are your ways into working with somebody who does have fibroids? Hormone balance. We have to get your hormones intact. When I say hormones, specifically estradiol and progesterone, those are the two ones that I'm like, we have to have those modulated and with the normal range. Yeah. Great. What's your way to get there with people? Because I know you have an appreciation of diet and lifestyle factors and that balancing hormones isn't necessarily, I mean, it might be like the tip of the iceberg or something in addition to the other work you're doing. So how are you helping people to understand the changes they might have to make in their lives as well in relation to their signs and symptoms resulting from the fibroids? One thing that I've noticed in practice is when you're able to show people data and explain how it's impacting their body, they're going to be more compliant. So when I'm doing my consultations after we run the hormone panel, there's a hormone cascade. So I can explain how this hormone impacts that hormone. Then I can also talk about how nutrients impact this cycle, how toxins, environmental toxins can impact this. When I'm able to show them data and explain the why and what 
this is meaning to their bodies. They're able to really understand it and really apply the necessary changes. Yeah, it's so empowering to be able to educate people so that they're owning the changes they're making versus doing them for you, right? Because you said so. Absolutely. And in the naturopathic world, I tell everyone, come to me when you're ready to do the work. I can assist you and, you know, coach you and guide you. But until you're ready to do the work, you'll just be scheduling appointments and not being compliant. Right. Are there factors on the right side of the matrix in addition to nutrition, like sleep or relaxation or stress? There have been some studies about stress history and fibroids that I've seen, but you're way more in the research here than I am. So are there other factors that we should be considering? Those are the top ones that I would factor in. But one that I think a lot of practitioners miss is childhood abuse. There was a study that showed that 34% higher chance of women who experience sexual abuse develop fibroids. 16% at a greater risk for individuals who experience childhood physical abuse. So if you're able to address those things and dive into those things and make sure the patient has support, that they've done the work, the counseling to help remove those stressors. But stress is going to be one of the number one factors that I notice in all of my patients who have fibroids. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up those adverse childhood experiences and the stresses that linger in the body into adulthood that cause a myriad signs and symptoms and diagnoses. What are we missing? What are we not knowing about fibroids that you wish we all knew as practitioners that would help us to help those that we're serving? I would say inflammation inflammation, inflammation, inflammation. If you are able to decrease the inflammatory components of the body, addressing visceral fats, diet, 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 nutrition, 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 education, education, education. When I'm able to bring those into the patient population that I serve, I'm noticing the best changes, whether it's me discussing a woman's intake of ginger ale, Oddly enough, I have so many patients when I'm asking, what are you consuming? What are you drinking? How's your hydration? They'll explain the small amount of water that they're having, but I'm only drinking ginger ale. I looked at the back of a Canada Drive 16.9 ounce drink. It's 50 grams of sugar per serving. If you're having three ginger ales a day, but because they see ginger and they associate it with it being healthier, (laughs) they assume that, you know, it's not a lot of sugar. But when I'm able to pull up, you know, diagrams and show how much 50 grams of sugar is, but if you're multiplying that times 350, they're able to make those changes. Yeah, that's brilliant. Because even when we're talking about that hormone balance, if we're not addressing blood sugar, then it's hard to balance those hormones on top of that cascade of a fluctuating blood sugar and fluctuating insulin and that fat storage that you were talking about. That's all going to impact hormone expression and then the symptoms related to the fibroids. Absolutely. One of the tools that I enjoy using is a stool panel. 
Genova has a one-day stool sample that you can use that shows you everything, whether it's inflammation, dysbiosis, it shows the immune components, whether there's signs of infection. I'm even able to see the amount of beta-glucuronidase that's produced. So we can see how well the body's able to excrete estrogen. And we know that excessive estrogen is a highlight of a person developing fibroids. So when you're able to really dial in and see what the gastrointestinal system's doing, you're able to make changes. Yeah. Beautiful. I love your full body systems approach to addressing fibroids. It's a condition that is all too often masked or treated with a Band-Aid and that's not getting us the results we need long-term. So thank you so much, Dr. Tabitha, for joining us and for your wisdom today. Thank you. The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks to Natalie Merrill, Alia Hale, Pamela Geismar, and Rowan Bradley for their support in making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our full body systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month immersion course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your clients' issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.